following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good day, Austin. (laughs) And good day, Christian Life Austin. What a joy. The 15th day of the month of March. And here we are halfway through March. Can you believe that, that we're already two and a half months into 2020? Blows my mind. I don't know where it is in your heart. I've learned a long time ago that days kind of drag and years kind of (laughs) fly, but uh, memories are timeless. And we're so happy that you joined us today from your house, from your home. I hope you're having some watch parties. We received some calls that people are having house parties and watch parties and people are coming over to houses today and they're going to watch what's happening. We regret that we could not meet in church today. We could not be in church because of the, of the uh, rule that was set down by our city council. But you know what? what? What the world sometimes means for not good, God can turn it into good. God can turn things around. And so we're just going to follow course and we're going to do what God wants us to do today. And we're going to preach the gospel right into your house, right into your home, right into your car. Wherever you are, I want you to receive it today from my heart to your heart. We're going to to talk today. And by the way, I think it's pretty cool to say this today. The song that the praise and worship team sang, Healing is Here, That song was not chosen this week for this Sunday. That song was chosen two months ago for this Sunday. And if a country and a nation and a world ever needs healing, they need healing today. March the 15th. This is a national day of prayer. And God, we want you to heal our country, heal our land, and touch our world, and revive our hearts to your hearts. Amen. Now today, I'm going to speak on a subject that... I feel very confident about and I want to talk about from my heart to your heart. I want to speak on facing our fears, facing our fears. I think it's very important that we don't run from them, we don't hide from them, but we face them. And we look at them and say, you know what, we have something greater than what you have. We have a God of faith and faith always triumphs over fears. I'm reading today from the book of Numbers, chapter number 13. It talks about it this way, and I have, I have cut some part of it out, so I have kind of Johnsonized it. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to read. Now they departed and came back to Moses, speaking of the spies, and Aaron, and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought word to them that all and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told Moses... We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, and they're very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and all the otherites. They're all cousins. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, 
for they are stronger than us. And they gave the children of Israel an evil report of the land, saying, The land through which we have gone is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in, in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, and they felt that the giants and the people of Canaan saw them the same way they saw themselves. I'm going to talk about facing our fears today. 19th century philosopher Henry David Thoreau expressed this view when he wrote, The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Bob Beale in his book Master Planning tells about a conversation he had with a man who trained animals for Hollywood movies. And he asked him, how is it that you can stake down a 10-ton elephant with the same size stake that you use to refrain a baby elephant? It's easy, said the trainer. When elephants are babies, we stake them down. And they try to pull away from the stake countless times before they realize they can't get away. And at that point, the elephant's memory takes over, and for the remainder of their lives, the rest of their days, they remain convinced they can't get away from the stake. Like elephants, humans have long memories. Often when we are young or were young, some unthinking, insensitive person makes a negative statement about you or me, and we happen to hear it. Maybe they say about us something like, he's not as smart as the other children. She always makes a mess of things in life. Her personality or disposition is horrible. And he has very little leadership ability. And many times at those moments, a mental stake is driven into our subconscious. And years later, when we are adults, those stakes that were driven in us as a child are still holding us fast. See, most of our limitations are self-imposed. Often during our childhood years, we pick up unrealistic fears and unreasonable insecurities. And by the time we reach adult life, we may have little self-confidence and a whole lot of fears in our life. In a recent poll taken by Americans, in their 20s, this question was asked, what's the basic feeling you have about life? 60% said fear, fear. That surprising data confirms my suspicions that the level of fear and anxiety runs high in America and around the world, even in a time of great prosperity in our nation. Most people define themselves either by their problems or by their possibilities. Fearful people wake up each morning and locate themselves on a problem chart. People of faith wake up and consult their possibility chart. What a difference that makes in life. But God wants every believer to be confident and every believer to be positive. And he wants every believer to be victorious in Jesus Christ. 
There are certain Bible verses that we Christians ought to memorize. And I think we ought to go through a litany of them right now. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Scripture shows us the stark difference between fearful and faithful in people. See, Shua is a name not recognized by many people, S-H-U-A. But Joshua is a name recognized by most people even if they have very little in Bible education. Let me set the scene for you. 1,400 years before Christ, two million Israelites have been migrating for about two years of their 40 from Egypt to Canaan. And they approach the border of the promised land in two years. And Moses sends 12 spies into Canaan to examine the land and people and to see the best way to conquer the land. Not if they can conquer, but the best way to conquer the land because God said, I'm going to give you that land. And after 40 days, the spies returned and they were unanimous in reporting that the land is rich and the land is productive. There's houses there. There's wells there. There's vineyards there. And yes, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. But beyond that, the spies disagreed. Ten of them reported that the people of Canaan were huge people. The sons of Anak, great giants. They lived in large, fortified, walled cities. And they concluded that the Israelites were not able and were not capable of overcoming the giants of the land of Canaan. But two of the spies, hallelujah, thank God for the vote of the minority. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb said, let us enter Canaan at once. Let's don't wait, for we are well able to overcome it. The Lord is with us. We don't need to fear the people of the land. But the ten fearful spies disagreed violently. They cried, compared to those giants, it's on the screen, we seem to ourselves to be grasshoppers. And that's the way we appeared to them too. You can get so down on yourself and so unconvinced that you can have a miracle in your life that you will believe that everybody sees you the way you feel about yourself. When God sees you as capable, God sees you as possible, God sees you as victorious in your life. But the 10 spies' voices won out. And the grasshopper mentality always begins with the low estimation of ourselves. Those big people in Canaan did not say to the spies, hey, you little fellows, you look like grasshoppers to us. The grasshopper mentality was a self-concept. It didn't come from anybody else. And sometimes we, like those spies, motivated by fear, see ourselves as little better than an insect crawling around on the ground. Then we assume that others see us the same way. That is a formula for futility. I love the story about the Texan who was being shown around a vast ranch in Australia. <laughs> and the proud Texan refused to be impressed, believing that everything back home was bigger and it was better. And the Texan said to his host, this whole spread would be just a teensy little corner of my place back home. And when he was shown a large herd of cattle, he said, this is nice, very nice. 
but it's just a fraction of my herd back home. And just then, a kangaroo came up behind the Texan and bounded by him. And it startled the Texan, and he said, what in the tarnation is that? And the Australian host responded, you don't have grasshoppers in Texas? <laughs> Laugh on your couch, it's funny. <laughs> the grasshopper, even a big one, is still a grasshopper. We feel like one when our fears and our problems dominate our thinking. We don't think we can get there. And God says you can get there. Many years ago, legendary coach Newt Rockney was the coach at Notre Dame. And the Irish were facing a critical football game against vastly superior Southern California Trojan team. But during the week before the game, Rockney recruited every big and brawny student in the entire student body, listen to this now, to suit up for this particular game. Not to play, just to run out on the field with the team and then sit on the bench and be an intimidating factor to Southern Cal. And on the day of the game, Southern Cal came out on the field first. Then at the very last minute, here comes Notre Dame out of their tunnel. 150, not 85, but 150 huge players rumbling out on the field. And Southern Cal stopped their warm-ups and just stared at the assembly of these huge green giants. And Newt Rockney had psyched out Southern Cal. And though the USC coach told his team that only 11 men could play at a time, the damage had been done to them mentally. USC lost, not because Notre Dame was a better team, but because Southern Cal had been intimidated. Let me speak to you. When your fears are large and you doubt the sufficiency of your primary resource, you have a grasshopper mindset. And I declare today that we got to throw away the grasshopper mindset in our mind because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There's three ways to overcome the grasshopper mentality. I'm going to be very brief with these. Number one, remember who you are. Say it with me. I'm a child of God. Say it. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Remember whose you are. Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. Say it. He's my Lord and my Savior. And remember where your power comes from. The Holy Spirit works in my life. And I can overcome any difficulty because I'm empowered by the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. Paul reminded Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Paul said to the Romans, you're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, and I am the captain of your salvation. Amen. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's time for us on this time of the season of our life, when this Horrible virus is racking the world and causing hysteria and causing panic. It's time for us to look up and say this with God. 
All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible with God. Get up on the edge of your couch. Put down that Pop-Tart right now. Put down that lunch right now and say, all things are possible with God. And on this March 15th, we're going to believe that. Let me go a little deeper. Mark chapter 1 says, and he was there in the wilderness, speaking of Jesus Christ, 40 days, tempted of Satan. And then this, this, this rolls out. And was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. At his baptism, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove to empower Jesus to be who the voice said he was. I want to ask you a question today in your homes. What does it mean to be a beloved child of God? Just think about that for a moment. What does it mean to you to be a beloved child of God? Answering that question and living the answer is why the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. How well are we being who we are? How well? The same Spirit that drove Jesus into a time of honest examination will lead you and me to do the same. Because all of us will have our wilderness where we understand what does it mean to be a beloved child of God. And I want you to ask yourself that question today. What does it mean? What does it really mean to be a beloved child of God? I'll tell you what it means to me. It means I want to go over to this corner of this church today. And I want to put my face against that corner and weep like there's no tomorrow because I have been chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he calls me his beloved. And he calls me his own. And I'm a part of a family, a royal family, a family of heaven. And all of heaven is called by his name. And I can speak the name of Jesus. And at the mention of that name, I can be healed. I can be set free. I can be delivered. I can face my fears. I can face the worst enemy of my life and come out victorious and triumphant because I know what it is to be a beloved child of God. And I know we don't take clap breaks in our house, but I wish you'd clap your hands right now in your house right now. We don't make up an answer on our own about that. We're given one by God through Jesus. And it's simply this faith in God fights fear of this world. Faith in God fights fear of this world. Faith in God fights fear. I said it a long time ago and I say it often. Fear knocked at the door and faith answered and nobody was there. There's nothing like the faith in the presence of Almighty God. Let's talk about expanding faith here a little bit today. Faith must have expansion. Everybody said we're given the measure of faith, but faith must have expansion. Becoming mature in Christ is like the growth of a tree. A young tree is still a tree, even though it only has a few rings in it because it's such a young tree. 
But an older, larger tree is an expanded version of a younger tree. And though more mature and expanded, the tree still contains within it all the earlier rings of its youth. See, there's no room for judgment of those who are less mature in Christ, who have less rings, less championships in fights and in battles. New Christians and a mature Christian are both Christians. They're both Christians. Whether you've known the Lord for one week <laughs> or whether you've known the Lord for 50 years, you're both Christians. You're both children of God. And there's three tremendous truths that I want to share with all of you, both baby Christians and mature Christians. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And today your faith is growing and the grasshopper concept is getting out of you right now. Because you're believing that you can take the land. You can have the victory. You can have a house. You can have a vineyard. You can have a well. You can be blessed mightily and be healed of your past. And the second way that faith grows is building up your most precious faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like prayer in the Spirit. There's sometimes I cannot pray in my language. So I pray in the Spirit. I, sometimes it's just groanings and sometimes it's prayers that I just kind of say, God, I don't know how to even pray. So help, help, help. And God helps. That's what you call praying in the spirit. And the third way that faith grows is that faith, when it is tried, always grows. Because when you whip one fear, God will prepare you for a bigger one. And it won't be long till you'll be facing the gorillas of life. And you'll be saying, get out of my way, little boy. I'm walking on with victory because I have conquered the little things and the medium-sized things and the big stuff in my life is not going to hold me back because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Now let me talk to you about faith growth just a little bit here. The first thing I want to share with you is that faith growth comes first from experienced faith. Say it in your home, experienced faith. Say experienced faith. It's good for you to quote it, experienced faith. This is the first style of faith that all of us have in our lives. This is where our faith comes from as a child. It's called experienced faith. Call it preconceptualized faith. <laughs> what shapes the way a child leans into life is the child's experience of life when a child is young. If a child has experienced love from those around him or her, that child will learn to trust and learn to lean on a thing and an object called the Lord. But if abuse in that child, the child will learn to be fearful and the child will be apprehensive. See, I pastor a, a passel of wonderful children in this church and I, I love kids and I'm a sucker for kids. I, I give them dollars and I give them candy and and I've got eight grandkids and all of them have me right there wrapped around their little finger. And the littlest one who's going on 10 months old really does have me there. But kids don't remember what a pastor preaches. They never remember what he preaches, never. But they will remember how I treated them. And they, they remember if I hugged them and they felt loved by the pastor. And the value that I place on them is very important to a child. This is what we call experienced faith. Some of you 
The same value that someone in your past placed on you has determined where you are in your life. It determines how you handle fears, how you handle problems today. Were you told that you wasn't good enough? Were you told that you wasn't right, that you were not right for the family, that you would never get it? Or were you told that you mattered and you were loved? See, it's called experienced faith. And so that's the stake that sometimes can tie us down and hold us captive all through our adult life. But then we come to a second level. I call it dependent faith. Dependent faith. This is the second style of the expansion of faith in our life. This is the faith of an elementary and middle school child. It's characterized by feeling an emotion rather than an intellect and an analysis. There's a strong need to belong in that section of life, to be known by a name, not just called it or hey, and to have a role to play in the group and to be missed when we're absent from something. And there's an identification with an authority figure who is admired and trusted because we call it dependent faith. That's when you lean on a mom or a dad or that's when you lean on a pastor. And many churches and leaders keep people right here in their life. Oh, I want to preach now. And they're told, you've got to listen to me because you don't have what it takes to have your own faith. And we are held captive by dependent faith. Questions are assigned to those men and those women of doubt. And doubt is a sin. And sin can take you to hell. That's what we hear. So accept what you are told as the absolute truth. Or you can never belong to the company of believers that we are. And I went through that in my life. I went through that dependent faith. When I couldn't have my own constitution and my own faith. I went through that even in organizational mindset. But not only is there experienced faith of our childhood, and not only is there dependent faith in our church life, but there's seeking and searching faith. That's faith number three that I want to talk about here today. Seeking and searching faith. Paul spoke to the Ephesians this, in chapter four of the book Ephesians. He said, no longer being children tossed to and fro, you don't need to be that, but by every wind of doctrine and people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but rather grow to maturity, watch this now, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. See, Paul's faith had changed. For Paul was converted as an older person. He was a man that hated the church. And then God turned him around in one day and he loved the church and he became the writer of half the New Testament. And, but Paul's faith had changed. See, the Judaizers no longer had him hemmed in. He was no longer hemmed in by the rituals of the Judaizer group. He was no longer hemmed in by people who just talked about law and talked about legalism to him. He said, and our should also, this change requires our looking at the faith that we have inherited and making it our own. Seeking and searching faith does more than just say, I'm experienced with what mom and dad taught me. Or I have understood what a pastor has laid on me and what people say I ought to believe. But I've got a hold of something in my life today. It's not my mom's faith. It's not my dad's faith. But it's my own faith. Because I have sought and I have searched 
and I have found this expanding faith to work in my life. I can believe God for myself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Feeling and emotion give way to questions and analysis. Hear this, Pastor. Faith in God is great enough that we can ask questions about it. God takes questions from people who are seeking and searching. God, what next? What now? Job asked questions. Paul asked questions. Patriarchs asked questions. And these all realize that the real test of faith lies in daring to risk living it. Say it with me. Experienced faith. Say dependent faith. Say seeking and searching faith. And the last one I'm going to talk about today is simply this. Owning your faith. Owning your faith. Owning it. Not renting it. (laughs) Not trying to pay monthly notes on it. But owning your faith. See, many churches are uncomfortable of people going through the phases of seeking and searching. But one has to if they want to own their faith. Because faith, when it is tried, absolutely grows. And I could ask people that's watching via the net today and watching on your television today, I could ask you, you remember going through a situation and you said, wow, how did that happen? How'd that take place? I'll tell you what happened. You were put in a situation where your faith had to be pushed and you sought and you seeked after, you sought after and you you seeked after the, the hand of God and the faith of God and God allowed it to happen in your life because he said, if you ask me, I will. If you believe in me and ask of me, I will do for you what you ask. See, in own faith, one knows why they be, what they believe and why they believe it. Understand that faith lives its implication regardless of the consequences, regardless of the negatives, the fears, and the wilderness. Now, let me say something here. Permit me to speak about the wild beast that I read about a while ago from Mark 1. Jesus experienced in the wilderness. It's something that many people never talk about. I want to speak about the wild beast. The wilderness is where people go to wrestle with God. It's where they go to discover, I've got to get out of this grasshopper mindset. I've got to fight my fears. I, I just don't think that I'm big enough. I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm able enough. And whatever may be keeping them from a relationship created, God created this far, they go to a wilderness to find that out. And there we learn who we are by facing what seeks to threaten us and control us by fear. And there is what one man describes as the tyranny of the primitive brain. That part of our human nature, when faced with fear and danger, causes us to resort to one of the two reactions, either fight or flight. Either fight for my life or run away from it. And many people listening today in your home living rooms, you have fought You felt like you didn't win, so you've run. You have run. You've run away from it. The wild beasts are as much inside us as our animal nature is outside of us. So let me use this term. Standing in the gap. Neither fight nor flight. Neither fighting for it or running away from it. Neither destroying something or running and hiding. Jesus assumed the third option. You know what it was? He 
He said, it is written. It is written. I'm coming to a close of this message today. But I want you, if you have a Bible in your living room close by, I want you to hold it up. And I want you to say this with me. I will not run away from my battles. I will not just fight for my victories. I will clutch the Word of God. And I will declare the Word of the Lord to everything trying to keep me in a grasshopper mindset. I will win because I have the Word of God in my life. God put His Word in my life and I will claim His Word to my battle. He used the Word on the wild beast in the wilderness both outwardly and inwardly. He loved His enemies as well as His friends. He let God's grace be the fulcrum of his earthly life. You know, I heard a young skater was entering to her first competition several years ago, and just before she was to go on the ice, she turned to her coach and she said, Coach, I can't do this. I can't make it happen. I'm too afraid. And her coach said, No, you're nervous. You're not afraid. You're just nervous. There's a big difference in nerves and being fearful. He said, if a man goes to a restaurant and orders a $100 meal, he may be a bit nervous, but if he has $100 in his pocket, he will know how to handle nerves. Fear, he said, is ordering a $100 meal knowing you have no money. The skater got the coach's message and went out and finished first in the competition. Christians have a source far greater than a $100 bill in our pocket of self-confidence. We have the unlimited God of the universe on our side. And in this book, there are 365 fear knots. One for every day of your life. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. So what are you going to do, preacher? What you, how are you going to face your fear? I'm going to say, fear, look at me. <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. I'm not going to run away, and I'm not going to fight you. There's a buffer between me and you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there's a word that he left me in my life, and I can conquer anything you send into my life by the power of the Word of God and the resurrected Savior that is on my side. I'm going to the rink and I'm going to win the competition today. Come on, clap your hands in your home and rejoice and say, I will conquer my fear. The more we believe in the sufficiency of God, the more we will be immune to excessive fear. Now I want to give you a practical strategy for repelling fear attacks and I'm closing today. I'm going to close. Wow, I've enjoyed preaching to you and talking to you in your homes. I want to give you practical strategy for repelling fear attacks. First aid against fear. <laughs> List. Here's four practical steps for warding off excessive fear. Number one, cultivate a friendship with God. Cultivate a friendship. That comes by prayer. 
That comes by reading his word. That comes by singing his songs. That comes by walking with him. When you take a walk in the morning, have somebody walking there with you. You may be invisible, but have the Lord walking with you. And talk to him as you walk. And share with him your heart. Cultivate a friendship with God. God loves you. And you know what? If you'll hush every now and then, he'll talk back to you. And he'll share with you like you've shared with him. Secondly, in a panic attack, talk it out with a trusted friend or a person of faith. See, I believe a fear shared is a fear reduced. You need people in your life. Those folks in the living room with you today, those folks that have come for the watch party, you need each other. We all need one, somebody somebody else in our life. We need one another. Because there's strength. There's strength in numbers. And you need to be able to have somebody in your life that you can talk your fears to. Don't tell them your whole life, just your fears. I'm afraid of boom. I'm afraid of boom. Somebody that loves you enough will look at you and say, you know what, we're going to pray. We're going to join together. We're two or three are gathered together. In his name there, he'll be in the midst of us and he's going to answer our prayer. Number three, get by yourself and read the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> that's, my, that's my advice to you. Read the 23rd Psalm. That's the first aid for a fear list. Pray, don't fuss or fret or take a pill to go to sleep, read the word, read the 23rd Psalm. And number four, keep a private journal or a diary of fears that you and God have conquered together. And every now and then go back and read them and say, we did that. In 1997, we did that. 2006, look what we did, God. We did that. 2013, I didn't think we'd ever make this one, Lord. But look where we went together. We did it. Every victory that you write down, every victory that you journal, makes you believe stronger and stronger in the God that you worship. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I've been a pastor long enough to learn that there's a favorite chapter for people in crisis. You need to find it. If it's Psalms 91, read it. If it's Psalms 23, read it. If it's Psalms 34, read it. Wherever you want to go, find your chapter and let that be your chapter of faith versus fear. Without fail, Psalms 23 works for me. That shepherd David in the Psalms was tranquil and calm and powerful. And in the fourth verse, David declares, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know why he said that? He said, for you're with me. <laughs> you're with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. 
David was not afraid because he understood. So I'll put on the screen my final, my, my, my final phrase to you today. Smile at your past. Laugh about your future. Because you have a God with you today that has already seen both yesterday and tomorrow. And I promise you, we're going to come out of this. We're going to come out of this virus. We're going to come out of this. We're going to make it through this. And we're going to rise to heights that we've never known before because America has never been faced with this. It's like almost that we're in a war. We're in a world war with all the sanctions going down. But I promise you in the name of the Lord that we will overcome and we will be victorious. We'll be victorious in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will conquer this fear so that the next one we face, we say, hey, look what we did in 2020. We conquered it. And there's nothing that we can't do in the name of the Lord. I would ask you to bow your heads in your home. I would ask you to bow your heads and let me bless you in the name of the Lord right now. Dear Father, I bless the people today on this March 15th. I bless them. And I ask you to be in their homes and I ask you to cover them with your love and bless them with your grace and lift them with your mercies and let them know without a shadow of a doubt that everything is going to be all right. It's going to be all right. That you are with us and you are for us and there's nobody that can defeat us because you are the conquering Christ. And so today, to end this service, I wish you would stand in your homes. I wish you would stop your car and get out of it and say, I'm going to stand up for the Lord right now or at least raise up in your seat. Get on the edge of your, of your chair because I'm telling you, healing's here. Healing's here. Faith healing's here. I told people a long time ago, I am a faith healer. No, not what you think, but I heal people's faith in God. The Word can heal people's faith in God, and God is allowing the Word to heal your faith today. Be healed in the name of Jesus, and we'll meet again soon together in the house of God. I love you with all my heart. There's none like you in all the world. Thank you, CLC, for being such a competent and great folk. God bless you. Have a super Sunday in your life. My prayer and my heart is with you today. God bless.